This is the Youth Worker Collective podcast from Young People's Ministries. You don't have to be in ministry alone with resources, coaching, games, and more at umcyoungpeople.com. All right. Uh, well, welcome, everyone. My name is Chris Wilterdink. I'm the director of Young People's Ministries and uh, Jeremy Steele, who is uh, part of the pastoral team at Los Altos United Methodist Church out in California. And I get to co-host the Youth Worker Recharge every Thursday. And this week, we are very, very excited to welcome Ann Kessler, who I knew uh, back when I lived in the Mountain Sky Annual Conference. Um, so I'm just going to give you a little bit of background on Ann, and, and then we'll have her say hi. Uh, Ann Kessler has been a member of the First United Methodist Church of Loveland, Colorado since 1996. She taught kindergarten Sunday school for four years. And then in 1999, the youth director at the time asked her to volunteer with the youth. This sounds like- He asked her to party like it's 1999 when he he asked her. (laughs) (laughs) The story for how people get involved in youth ministry is so frightening. Why don't you just volunteer with the youth a little bit? (laughs) Uh, Anne was a mid-high Sunday school teacher for seven years and focused on senior high youth group from 1999 until 2013 when she was hired as the youth director. In 2015, she became full-time and her title shifted to the director of family ministries, meaning that she now got to oversee children's ministry as well. In 2018, with the help and support of First United Methodist in Loveland, Colorado, she received her Master's of Arts in Specialized Ministry with an emphasis in youth ministry from Southwestern College. Her love is the yearly mission trip. She has been on over 35 of those and loves to watch teens grow in their service of others. When she is not leading all of those different ministries or sleeping on very thin um, Uh, air mattresses on those mission trips. She enjoys cake decorating, quilting, oil painting, going to the movies, spending time with her husband, two daughters, and sons-in-law, as well as her great Dane, Zoe. So, Anne, welcome. Ah, thank you. I had to keep Zoe up in the house so she didn't do anything naughty behind me. (laughs) Well, before, uh, before I invite Jeremy to ask a question or two, I would love to hear about your journey into youth ministry? Because starting as a uh, volunteer and then truly moving through the process and becoming professionalized in ministry while still serving as a volunteer is really pretty incredible. So um, tell me about that journey a little bit and and how that informs the ministries that you lead now. Well, I have to say it was um, kind of a, just a gradual process. You know, you, you help with, um, Sunday school, and um, you go on many mission trips. Our, the current youth, the youth director that we had was an awesome mentor, and um, she put on the best mission trips, and I think that's what made me stay. So every year, all the, you know, day-to-day, every Sunday kind of thing, I just kept thinking, well, you know, next June, we get to go to wherever, you know, Louisiana or Portland or whatever. So I it just um, kept me motivated to stay because I really like those mission trips. And I kind of feel like that's why the kids stay in youth group sometimes too, is like, we've got to go on this mission trip. Um, I was actually on staff in um, 13 when I started school. So it was a very good thing to do. Um, That caused a lot of anxiety. Do I want to do that or not? But the, the church was willing to pay for it. Uh, the pastors would get money as well for education. 
And so they always put a little chunk away for me. And I just used my little trunk every year. And uh, so it took about five years. And uh, I went through it with Amanda and Ken. Um, we went through a lot of classes together. We took my first few in Dallas. I did the um, the Perkins School the first year. And then it switched over to Spark. We followed that team. And um, then Spark, um, Southwestern kind of took over Spark. And so I spent three, three Januaries in Dallas and uh, then went online fully. So that's my story. Um, so, Anna, I, I'm curious when, um, when you've sort of gone through this transition from volunteer all the way through, um, what is it that um, – having worked as a volunteer for, for a significant amount of time, right? Like not just like I volunteered for a little bit, but um, what is it that, that you feel like you have as a, has having worked as, as a volunteer, um, what is the, the, the perspective, the, the things that you learned as a volunteer that now helps you be a, a better youth worker and, and like use volunteers in a better way. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like my transition time, you know, the learning curve to youth director was so much easier. I mean, I kind of had to learn what paperwork was due when and that sort of thing. But because I volunteered for so long, I I knew how to to plan a mission trip. And, um, you know, there was things that I, I learned as far as like dealing with people and stuff that I didn't when I was a volunteer. But um, overall, I feel like my learning curve was much quicker. I, you know, yeah, I was and, up and running faster. Right. And I, I'm curious, like, from your, do, you know, when talking to other youth workers, how do you understand the role of the volunteer and uh, utilize volunteers in a maybe a different way? Maybe I would assume probably a more effective way uh, for, because you spent so much time as a volunteer. Right. Well, I think they definitely know I appreciate them. And um, I try to find people with the gifts for what I need them to do. So when we're going on the ski trip and driving on I-70 and a whole lot of snow, I know that I want to take my drivers that are amazing at that kind of stuff, you know, that will keep us safe and um, things like that. Um, So I try to look at their spiritual gifts and put them where they will be the happiest because an unhappy volunteer doesn't stick around and um, let them, you know, engage in their gifts. And there's times where I have people that are much better with the kids than I am. And guess what? I, you know, they're the ones that I have running programs or, you know, I like to cook. So I do, I like to stay in the background sometimes and do the cooking and, and let other people build the relationships because I think that it's not about me. It's about the whole team. So if, um, if my volunteers are successful, then the program is successful. Yeah, I, that's really, uh, that's, that's a super helpful note. I, I remember I was talking um, with a, a, a youth pastor several years ago. Or no, he wasn't a youth pastor. He's like a trainer. So he was like a person who like uh, travels around and trains youth workers <clears throat> and he volunteers he was a youth ministry volunteer at his church, um, but he's like a nationally renowned speaker, 
right? And he's the volunteer, which was what was really cool about the conversation was that his youth worker actually had him do the lessons, like do the speaking in front of the teenagers. And I think that's so powerful, like a, what a powerful witness um, for somebody like you to say, you know what, they're better at that. Uh, even though that's what a lot of typical youth pastors might do, I, I don't have to do that. I've got a great volunteer to do that. Um, I think, th- and, and that's like, as a volunteer, you really feel right valued and, and, uh, and seen, right? That, mm-hmm. oh, wow, I am good at that. That's super helpful. I'm curious also, you've got a long um, longevity with, uh, with children, uh with, I mean, you've been there long enough to have seen kindergarten through the kindergarten of their kid, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so I, I want to know about that. Like a lot of youth workers don't get to experience that. And so I wonder, why did you stay uh, in one place so long? And like, what would you say to youth workers who are are starting to be these in, in a sort of serial three-year, four-year cycle mm-hmm. of changing well, churches? Yeah, and and so that church was my church originally, right? My when we went, my kids were one and three when we started going there, and so, um, you know, I directed vacation Bible school and, um. I helped with the kindergarten and it was pretty cool when the kindergarten kids, I was teaching junior high by the time that those kids were, um, had moved up. And so then I got to go through youth group with them as well. And you're right. It's really cool when you get to go to their baby showers and weddings and stuff like that. You're like, I've known you since kindergarten. Um, I've had no real urge to move churches. Like, um, uh, when I was hired, I have such a nice relationship with the congregation because they've known me. They've basically watched me grow up in the church since I was 27. And um, those connections, when you're the youth director, I, I kind of feel bad for youth directors that come in new and don't have those resources and say, well, let's see, I need money. I know I can go to this person and ask, can you give me a little money to rent a van or, you know, um, I have th- this amazing network and um, it has been quite a blessing to, to get to watch the kids grow up. And, and honestly, um, when I was hired as the children's um, director as well, uh, I was told, please don't be in the room with them. I want you to oversee the program. And you know what we learned in school, right? Give your ministry away. Give it to the volunteers and you'll be busier than you thought you would, you know, which is true. Um, So I've given my ministry to the volunteers, especially the children's program. So on Sundays, my job is just to make sure that the teachers have shown up. And, you know, if they don't or somebody calls in sick, I'll fill in. But really, I love to just pop my head into the room of the preschool room and say, hello, everybody. How are you today? And I go to the nursery and I say, hello, everybody. How are you today? And then I go down and hang out with the teenagers, you know. <laughs> so it's it's worked out um, fairly perfectly for because um, I really like the older age group 
Um, so I just make sure the children's program happens. And I do teach Sunday school right now because we are in a Zoom world and it's <laughs> just easier for me to do it. And I'm not as busy as I am when I'm normally um, hanging out with the teens. I've got uh, maybe one more question before we jump into the devotional time, Anne. Um, and it has to do a little bit with the context of the ministry that you've been a part of. Um, so um, I have lived in Colorado. I've, I've lived in the western part of the United States where the geography and the amount of people is just enormous. Uh, the, the distances between churches um, and large city centers is just a lot more spread out than it is, especially where I live now in Tennessee in the southeastern United States or uh, maybe the Midwest or northeastern parts of the U.S. as well. Uh, and I know that because we're a global denomination, um, context is just so important for how ministry works. Um, but tell me a little bit about um, the, the geography and the community that you've been able to carve out um, being in Loveland. Uh, because for those that don't know, the Mountain Sky Annual Conference, um, in terms of people that know U.S. geography, would be all of the state of Montana, uh, the entire state of Wyoming, the entire state of Colorado, and the entire state of Utah. So from one end to the other end, if you wanted to drive it uh, going at highway speeds, we would be still talking about... 24 hours or 25 hours of driving time? Uh, it's a lot. In Idaho. Thank you, Amanda. Well, I'm in Fort Collins. And so to get to the bottom half of Colorado is about six hours. And to get up to Billings, Montana, which is towards the bottom of Montana, it's eight. So yeah, you're looking at quite a few hours because I think it's another eight to 10 hours up to the top of Montana, depending on where you're going. Um yeah, that has been a challenge. It was a challenge when it was the Rocky Mountain Conference because just to get youth in. And, you know, way back when, and Chris, you might remember it, when we used to do the um, youth leadership conference and stuff, they would bring giant buses of kids from from Salt Lake and there would be a thousand people at these events and they would have them up in the mountains. Um, but that kind of started you know, the costs were expensive. And so things kind of slowed down with that. And then we kind of started doing a small, you know, statewide with some of Wyoming would come down to our stuff. And we tried to have things up here in Northern Colorado, because then everybody's kind of driving the same distance. But then they added all the other states. And that challenge became so much higher. I, I've taken kids to General Conference, and we went to Ogden, Utah, which is a seven hour drive. And then we went up to Billings, which is an eight. And um, I think the kids kind of enjoy that. You know, the bonding time in the car is precious. But um, when we're taking a long weekend, it's just not, you know, in the summer, that's okay. But in the during the school year, if we want to have a conference event, it's really challenging. And I know Amanda has, she's taken it on and then we had COVID. So it's just been a whole different animal for her. Um, it's been really difficult to try to get um, a core group together. And uh, we have, you know, we were Zooming before Zoom was popular. Um, we did YLC one year because the weather wasn't that great. And we Zoomed and Bishop Karen came up to Loveland and sat in our youth range and talked to all the other churches, which was pretty cool. Um, so we've been trying to think outside the box or have two, um, two conference things going 
we plan it all together in the summer and then the Montana group will do theirs and we'll do ours down here in, you know, um, Denver, Wyoming. Um, but we use the same theme. So we've worked together to develop the theme for the year. Um, so that's been, that was kind of where we were at before COVID. It was to try to come up with um, similar things to do the same weekend and maybe, you know, have the guest speaker at our place, but um, video it for the place up in Montana. And then they have a speaker and they get to see them live, but we get to see it on video. So it's just trying to be creative. So I, I must admit, when Chris asked me to do today's devotion, I was really nervous. <laughs> but I thought about it, and I said, I think I have one ready to go. Um, I wrote this several years in school, but I've never used it. And I was thinking of all the changes that we've gone through this year. And honestly, as a youth director, I think sometimes it's been hard to find my purpose some days. And trying to come up with safe activities for the youth has been a challenge. And of course, new things are always fearful and can cause anxiety. So today's devotion is going to touch on finding God's purpose for us and being willing to take a risk. And I'm using the shortest book of the New Testament, Philemon. <laughs> so to get all the information about Philemon, we have to have some history of when it was written. It was set approximately 60 to 61 AD, and along with Colossians, Philemon is commonly believed to be one of Paul's prison letters. They are believed to have been sent together, delivered by Tychius. The letter to Colossae is a letter of encouragement, but the letter of Philemon is a personal request, which Paul is making on behalf of a slave named Onesimus. Because of its personal nature, it is believed that Paul is the author of Philemon. Paul's writing this letter while he's imprisoned in Rome, for preaching the Christian gospel. Philemon is a fellow Christian and friend of Paul, and he's the owner of the slave Onesimus. The letter to Philemon doesn't specifically say that Onesimus stole anything, but it is clear that there's some difficulty as we read verses 8 through 10. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. It is suggested that the letter of Philemon shows us the kind of everyday problems the first century church wrestled with. They saw tensions between their beliefs and the way of life imposed on them by their culture, and the struggle to figure out how to live out the faith in that setting. It is a timeless issue that we still struggle with today. Onesimus is a household slave that supposedly stole items from Philemon and ran away to Rome, a big bustling city where it would be easy to hide from those who might seek him. We can look at slavery here literally as Onesimus serving as a true human slave to Philemon, doing his will, or we can delve a bit deeper and say that Onesimus is a slave to worldly things, thereby not doing God's will. Perhaps God has a plan to use Onesimus. It is necessary for him to meet Paul and become a Christian, supporting the message that you can try to hide, but God will find you. God can and will use all of us, regardless of who we are. In the poem, Why Would God Want Me?, it says, I'm not perfect. I have all kinds of problems. I have no ability. I have no gifts. I'm just not worthy. Why would God want me? Well, did you know that Moses stuttered? David's armor didn't fit. 
John Mark deserted Paul. Timothy had ulcers. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Amos's only training was in the school of fig tree pruning. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich. Jesus was too poor. Abraham was too old. The list goes on and on with flawed biblical characters doing God's will. It shows that we all have a purpose, and it is okay to have flaws. Growing because of trials can be compared to the oyster that has a little piece of sand lodged inside. In response to this intruder, the oyster makes the most of its trial and makes a beautiful pearl. Without the challenge or setback of having this uncomfortable piece of sand, the oyster would never have made this precious stone. Philemon gives us an example of how God uses one slave to become an important person in the beginning of church's life. Through Onesimus' struggles, we learn that our lives can be turned into something positive. Philemon verses 15 and 16 read, Onesimus was separated from you for a little while. Maybe it was so that you could have him back forever. You could have him back not as a slave. Instead, he would be better than a slave. He would be a dear brother. He's very dear to me and even more dear to you. He is dear to you not only as another human being, he is dear to you as a brother in our Lord. Every Christian's life is marked by windows of opportunity that demand that you take a radical step of faith to follow Christ, to fulfill his purposes for your life. And what makes that step radical is that it always involves risk. There are times when God calls and it will bring an opportunity to you. It might be in your marriage, it might be in your career, it might be about your finances or a relationship. And he's going to say, in order to obey me, in order to follow me, in order to do exactly what you want to do, this is what I need you to do in this situation. And everything in you is fearful. Oh boy, if I got do that, God, surely you don't want me to do that. And it's this little window of opportunity and it takes a radical step. And the reason it's radical is because you say to yourself, you know what, if this doesn't work out, this relationship could fall apart. If I do that, I would leave my family and move to a new place. If I do that, it might ruin my career possibilities in the future. But if I do that, I won't be able to pay my bills in three months. God, you don't want me to take these radical steps with my finances. Whenever we do something we perceived as risky, we fear the outcome. Fear can paralyze us from becoming the people God wants us to be. Onesimus took a big risk leaving his household. Punishments for slaves in the first century were strict. Slaves who did run away were guilty of theft since they had technically stole their master's property. And if caught, they would suffer terrible tortures of means to frighten other slaves. Onesimus was lucky he found Paul before Philemon found him. Although considering Philemon was a Christian, I would be curious to know how he would have treated Onesimus if he had found him before Paul did. We don't need to be like Onesimus to take a risk. Sometimes the risks we take are right at home. What if taking a risk for God was less about jumping off cliffs or making major life changes, but more about examining our motives and opening our eyes to how God might want to use us right where we are, embracing the uncomfortable in our midst? Maybe God wants to use you as a change agent in your workplace, as the glue in your neighborhood, as the light in your social circles and family. It's possible that quitting your job and moving your family across the country right now might be exactly what God wants you to do. But I think more often than not, it's the challenge to take the risk where you are to help those in your community. Personally, the topic of risk-taking 
being used by God really speaks to me because I didn't grow up in a church-going house. My mother was a Christian, but my father was not. And mom didn't want to go to church by herself, which was a shame because she grew up as part of a Methodist congregation and was very active in the life of the church as a child and teen. My grandparents would take me to church during the summers when I stayed with them. And although I didn't go to church regularly, I knew very little about the Bible. I always felt the presence of God, and I would talk to him at night in bed. So, years went by, and my children were born. And I don't know why, but I wanted them baptized. So, I called several churches, and the Methodist Church was the only one that was willing to do this for our family. So, 24 years later, I'm still at the church that was willing to baptize my children and include us in Christian community. They did take a risk on me and my family. So my first risk in the church was becoming a volunteer working with the children. I started out teaching kindergarten Sunday school for my first few years at the church. And it was great because that was about the level of Bible I could understand at the time. (laughs) My knowledge was severely lacking. And in 1999, I started teaching middle school Sunday school and volunteering with the teens on Sunday night youth group. I was super awkward with the teens. I had no idea how to talk to them, but for some reason I loved it, and I continued to volunteer for 13 years. God had a lot to do to prepare me for the position I'm in now. If you would have asked me if I thought I'd ever be working for the Lord, I would have thought you lost your mind. So about 11 years ago, I uh, took a risk, and I applied for the position of youth director, and I didn't get the job. Um, God wasn't ready for me to have it yet. There were still skills I needed to learn. This really hurt, but I stuck with it because my daughters were still in youth group and I wanted to support them. I did consider leaving the church, but my wise youngest daughter said, we can't leave. This is our family. So nine years ago, the position opened again and I risked rejection a second time, but this time I did get the job. I really wanted to learn more about the Bible and how to teach it to the youth. So a co-worker encouraged me to take classes in youth ministry. So there's another risk because I was getting close to 50 years old. Do I really want to go back to grad school? But the knowledge I learned in those classes has excited me and I wanted to learn more. So in 2015, I entered the Masters of Specialized Ministry program at Southwestern College. And in 2018, I got my degree in specialized ministry with an emphasis on youth ministry. I would never think that I could learn so much about the Bible in my first three classes, but what a change it made to my approach about everything in my job. Before I was doing the job, but now I'm trying to live it like Jesus calls me to. So God took a young mother and spent 15 years giving her life skills so she could be useful to the teens in her care. The book of Philemon speaks to me because God took me, a woman, well, not a slave, just a regular person with nothing special about her, and made her useful for his work, and challenged her to take risks in the job to be a better Christian and an example for the people she works with. The book of Philemon may be the shortest book in the Bible, but for me it is considered one of the most precious books that can be found in Scripture. We see Onesimus, an extremely fortunate person, a one-time runaway slave, but a, now a loved brother of Christ, restored to his master. This is a story of the grace we receive When we put our trust and faith in the Lord Jesus, we become sons and daughters of Christ instead of slaves. Philemon has tremendous value for our lives. This little book of lessons for us to use in everyday life. 
We are encouraged to take risks in the name of Christ to make the world a better place to be and to keep our eyes open to the possibilities that God presents us with, to know that we are valuable in God's eyes, no matter who we are, rich or poor, and that he has a use for us. Amen. Amen. You know, Anne, I I wonder, you're talking about sort of staying aware of that, right? I know that in the in the pandemic, I think that consistent awareness is difficult. So I'm curious in in your you know personal life, how what do you do to keep to keep reminding yourself of that? That I have a purpose. Yeah. <laughs> um. I don't know. There are days where I think, why am I doing this? You know, you send out those emails and you never hear back from anybody. But then you have coffee with the teens and they all show up, you know. So it's um, every time um, I plan something and people show up, it helps. You know, you you think, okay, I'm doing this um, because of them. And, um, and they're showing up. So I've got to keep showing up to be for them, to be there. And I've struggled this year because we haven't, we haven't done a lot of devotions and stuff. We've spent most of our time on community, on relationships, just being there for each other. And I've talked with the kids about that. And they said, they're like, we understand because they're, they're in the same position. They're at home on their computers in classrooms, they're not going out with their friends. And so those little times that we can be together, if we spend them quality, um, in a quality way of just being, just listening to each other, just being able to talk and be silly, I think is so important right now. And that's what keeps me going. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate that, that, you know, when they show up, that's something that really helps. What do you do when they don't show up? How do you wrap the internal troops, as it were? Well, you know, for the most part, they do show up, I have to say. Um, I had one one breakfast, though, that I only had one girl come. And you know what? I spent that time with her uh, when I started. I didn't have really anybody in our youth group. It was pretty – we had to rebuild from the bottom up. And uh, I got another youth director that had been around for a long time. And she said, you know what? Just have fun with the ones that are there. And so um, one girl that shows up uh, likes to do. So we talked art and, um, you know, uh, we talked boyfriends and all that good stuff that teenage girls need to talk about. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that's so important that. You know, and it and it happens when we are um, in person or when we're on Zoom, and and that ability to reframe it, both for yourself and for the students there, as a positive, mm-hmm. is so helpful. I I remember um, we had this moment where it, you know it's the every church has this like has their trend line, right? It goes up and down and. Um, and you have that uh, that question you have to answer. Like, we know nobody will be there this week. Do we cancel or do we 
have it for very few people. Mm-hmm. And we, we chose to have it and we had just a couple of students there. And, um, and I walked in, um, and I said, um, I just had, I just come back from a seminar, youth specialties. And, um, a guy named Duffy Robbins was talking about this. And, uh, and so I, I was fresh with the knowledge of something I could do. And I walked in and I said, man, I love it when we have these days that not many people show up because we get to really hang out with each other, really talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was crazy because that was a moment where some of the kids were down. I was down. And, um, and shifting that, it sort of shifted something in the room, right? Where we were like, oh, wait, this is good. And I know that that, that at least as many times as I've done that right, I've done that wrong. <laughs> but that reframing, I think, helps, just like you mm-hmm. were saying. Like, that one girl that you got to hang out with, that one-on-one, she'll, she will always remember the fact that, she got to spend real time with you. And that's so important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and if you fuss about people that aren't there, you make the people that are there feel bad. Like, mm-hmm. well, what's wrong with me? You know, I'm here. Right. And so you have to honor that the, the people that are there um, mm-hmm. and, you know, not worry about the ones that aren't. Yeah. There's one word that uh, I've heard just, come up in a, a several different ways. And it's the word just, um, I'm, I'm just this person. I'm just average. I'm just a volunteer. Um, we just had two people show up. We just had, and it, it's like, yeah. you know, it, it's almost like God cares about the just, but injustice wise. Yes. But also God cares when, when it is just that, because that's, that's just enough. That's what you need. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not getting stuck on not having enough and being present with those that are there. I, I love that message so much, Anne. 